0: The following is a production of the Event Safety Alliance.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Steve Edelman. Today, we're going to talk about severe weather. We're going to talk about severe weather in the context of a couple of issues. One is, well, Meteorology is real science. It's not like when, well, those of us who are old, like me, when the meteorologist was basically last week's sports desk guy. Um, Meteorology now is quite reliable. It is real science. It is reliable science on show sites. And we're going to speak with Dr. Kevin Clazel, the University Meteorologist for the Office of Emergency Preparedness at the University of Oklahoma, to talk about weather science. Uh, we're also going to speak with Dax Cochran from Weather Ops, powered by DTM now, um, and we're going to segue from the science to the application, how is the science itself available to people on a show site, so Dax will help us with that part, and then we'll bring it full circle with our very own Jim Digby, president of the Event Safety Alliance, and we'll talk about how event professionals use the science in a way that helps keep people safe in real time. And where this is headed is we're going to deal with one of the most challenging scenarios on a show site, which is making the decision whether to postpone a show, uh, cancel the show, or do we know enough so that we can make an educated, defensible decision to continue the show even under inclement weather circumstances? So. Today, we're going to talk about severe weather with the goal of getting you to the point where you know why you're making a decision whether to continue the show, hold the show, or even cancel the show. That's where we're going with severe weather today on this event safety podcast. So with that, let's begin with Dr. Kevin Clazel, who makes all of the go-go no decisions regarding weather on the University of Oklahoma campus. And the issue that I'd like to start with, Kev, is why can't we just use our cell phones like we're all used to? I mean, is this, is this going to be the moment where everyone gets to look fondly at their cell phone apps and say, oh, goodbye, I can't use you anymore? Are you going to be that fun killer for everyone on this podcast?
0: Oh, my gosh. So one of the things that uh, we try to do, at least here at the University of Oklahoma, is be the office of yes, safely, rather than the office of no. And I think there's a perception out there that many people think the meteorologist is there to tell people they can't do something rather than they can do something. And the expertise that's out there now with all of the the new radar technologies and satellite technologies and computer modeling and, and on and on and on really give meteorological professionals the opportunity to help the entertainment space, the sports space, the venue space, in having an event and having it as safely as possible, rather than always coming in sort of with a, you know, okay, no, we can't have it, we're gonna cancel it, we're gonna postpone it, or whatever the case may be. And so I think there's a lot of proactive wisdom when you integrate meteorological information And we, to be honest, like you said, have made it very easy for people to be their own meteorologists. We have these apps, and if you look at the statistics, more people use apps for weather information than they do for search, Uh, and and that just boggles my mind. But but it also inherently says you know what the information there must be valuable, or people wouldn't be using it. Uh, So we have to make sure that people are using it appropriately not not to take it away from them but to make sure that they understand that the app is only going to provide them maybe five percent of the information that a meteorologist is going to be looking at to assess
2: weather risk and to be and to consider it as a tool in a much deeper toolbox right absolutely
0: it's it's like i said there are so many other things that we look at from the meteorological perspective when we're for example trying to assess lightning risk right it's not just the lightning detection system and the little icon of a lightning bolt that shows up on an app. That is not a lightning forecast. It's not looking at where the freeze line is and where the ice is and where the water is and how all of that comes together to sort of rub your feet on the carpet to create that spark. But in this particular case, that spark is deadly. So there's a tremendous wealth of information that a meteorologist can can provide over and above what is available in any given app. The information associated with comprehensive risk, right? We've got all of these uh, situations where sometimes we think about, well, if there's gonna be a lightning strike, I know that we're done for like 30 minutes, right? We have to wait 30 minutes. There's all of this archaic information out there. That's information from a previous time when we didn't have the tools that we have at our disposal. So a meteorologist on site or working with a venue could assess the storm and the three-dimensional structure of the storm and actually say, you know what, that storm isn't going to produce another lightning strike. We are safe to continue. Or that storm has moved far enough away such that lightning is no longer a threat. So there's a deeper sense of information available from the meteorological professionals that would allow you to either continue a show or resume the show much more quickly uh, than if you were just using sort of an app with a you know a 30 minute back end on, a, on an event if there's a lightning strike
2: so uh for the audience's sake then a weather action plan is not a commitment to god right i think what a weather
0: action plan is is an opportunity for all participants to think through the types of hazards that could occur at a venue at a concert and then think through the things that they will do should those things happen. Uh, Once you set a a set of metrics, uh, you want to follow them as closely as possible, but that that trigger chart that we always talk about, uh, you know, where you're putting, you know, policies sort of for a local venue in play, um, that's iterative. It's never a final product, right? You have to sort of go through this experiential process of, of how things go to modify that plan should that need to be modified. And, and we learn something new every single time we do a weather evacuation, and that causes us to change that weather decision trigger chart in many instances every single time. It's so, not a final product.
2: So to dumb it down for a guy like me who's uh, out in the field trying to, ap- trying to apply it in the face of a storm, that weather action matrix is really a framework or as a, and a reminder for all of the things that we need to be considering uh, in, the, in the face of the threat of oncoming weather. That's a and great word. Framework is a great word to use here. Got it. And so I'm going to, the, the process of planning that weather action matrix gets the DNA and all the brain, brain tissues working to a place where we're, we're considering all the threats. We're trying to understand what kind of weather is cautionary to us. We're we're benchmarking those threats into the weather matrix framework, and now the storm's coming. How does that then translate from framework to action? So once you have the framework in play,
0: what you would love to do is, is work with your staff to go through scenarios. We always recommend weather training for the staff and maybe even some tabletop scenarios where you go through this ahead of time, where you ask the questions that you just did right where you're thinking about all the possibilities all the things that could go wrong but ultimately when you've got that framework you want to use that as a as a trigger for a decision now you may learn through an event that you know what we thought we could, you know, would have to shut down at 40 miles per hour, but it turns out that, you know, working with the structural engineers or whomever that maybe it's 48 miles per hour or 50 miles per hour or whatever the case may be. And then you change those, those frameworks or those trigger charts accordingly. Uh, I think once you've got sort of everybody on the same page, you don't want to stray from that. Uh, I know that it's important. The show must go on, et cetera. But I think that once you have that framework in play, you want to follow it. And then if you need to modify it, then you modify it. But you modify it with the appropriate expertise, not with a phone app.
2: Oh, let's dive deeper into that. Modifying it with the appropriate expertise. So what would that mean? So I think modifying it with the appropriate
0: expertise on the weather side would mean that you are in discussion with a professional meteorologist. You're not trying to wing it on an app that's, you know, only looking at 5% of the atmosphere, right? You're not looking at the entire structure of the atmosphere and, and what's going on around you. Uh, or, you know, whether that storm that's right at the eight-mile marker is actually moving away, you know, you don't want, let's say you get that lightning strike right at eight, and you know that storm is moving away, and your trigger chart says, oh, lightning at eight, got to shut it down. But the meteorological expertise in that situation is going to be able to tell you that, look, the lightning is going to be at nine in three minutes, and it's going to be at ten in eight minutes, and so on and so forth. And so that expertise would then allow you to keep going safely, right? The answer is yes, safely, not no, just because a sheet says something. Um, So I think that once you have the professional expertise to assess risk or the appropriate structural engineering expertise to assess, you know, structures, no, if you have
2: those, then use them. I was going to add the engineering question. So uh, I extrapolating from what you've just put out there, if I had an engineer on site, let's say, um, and I was staring down the throat of impending weather and that engineer was assessing the structure as the conditions changed alongside of known uh, competent information coming from a meteorological expert and the engineer who had previously stated perhaps a, a threshold of 30 miles an hour is now looking at his structure and, and it doesn't appear to be uh, having the same reaction he anticipated it would, that engineer is then capable of saying, well, maybe it's actually, maybe we're okay for now. Let's keep watching, let's keep an eye on the storm and I'll keep an eye on the structure and I'll let you know if I start to get worried. That, that's another scenario where the, the sheet is not God. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. I I think if you have the appropriate expertise, right, you or I may look at that structure differently than a structural engineer would. Similarly, I will look at the meteorology differently than somebody who's looking at a phone app. And in many cases here at OU, at our football games, we even deploy our meteorology folks as spotters. So we are not just assessing what the models say or, or what the radar says or what the satellite says. We will be looking at the storms themselves to watch the evolution. Uh, and in one case recently, I was working with the Women's College World Series uh, here in Oklahoma City. We actually went out back and took some time-lapse photography of developing storms so that we could actually see the inversion suppressing that development which meant that we were going to be able to continue rather than start thinking about lightning. Um, and so that's not something that an app is ever going to tell you, but it's something that a professional meteorologist looking at the, the vertical structure of the atmosphere can and going ahead and then telling everybody, look, I know what this computer product says. It says it's going to produce lightning in 10 minutes, but I know what I say and I'm looking at this same storm and it will not produce lightning. There's no way. It doesn't have the dynamical characteristics necessary to produce lightning.
2: So uh, one, one last thing, Steve, sorry. Uh, then I'm reading all of this to say that in the face of an oncoming threat, that those who contributed to the threat matrix, it's, it's possible to make judgment calls and it's possible to, Adjust the threshold, providing you're doing that with expertise um, and everybody's in alignment with that so that that I also read that to say that, that the right meteorologist and the right engineer and the right folks in the decision make matrix are show go people we want to get to the show providing all of the information is there to, to ensure that we can do so safely and we're not in the business of canceling shows unnecessarily. Nobody wants to do that, and I know that our that I know that our insurers are have suffered a, a pendulum swing when we first brought this meteorological discussion to the industry, where everybody used it as an opportunity to sorry not everybody many used it as an opportunity to cancel shows without without necessarily having to do so. And now I think we're experiencing that pendulum finding center where. The experts can be on the ground. The framework of the action plan exists, and there can be this collaborative dialogue, this active live dialogue in the threat, and we can sway as needed, so long as it's always airing on the side of caution. Sorry. Steve.
1: So let's let's talk about how this this appropriate expertise that we just referred to. Let's talk about how this actually gets from you know, a a professional meteorologist to someone who is working on a show site. So let's loop in Dax Cochran from DTN. Dax, you have meteorologists. So whether it's weather ops or, you know, a competing similar service, we don't have lots of Kevin Clazels. We perhaps would be better off if we did. What is the character of information that one can get onto a show site when they're looking up and seeing uh-oh the clouds look bad what do i do with that
3: yes this um service is really what allows you to go through this scenario that we've just been discussing i'm really um uh, really glad that that this conversation went that went that route because we're routinely having these conversations with customers um your professional weather service is going to be able to take your specific triggers that you've, you've worked hard, you've planned, you've got your trigger chart. It's what you're training your staff on. It's what you're doing your tabletops on. It's what you're rolling into your show with. Um, They should be able to take all of those triggers. They're informed of what your various triggers are, what they, what thresholds they need to be alerting and forecasting at. Um, But then the tools also exist that allow you to, have these conversations that, that could result in, in modifying a portion of your plan because you do have that meteorological expertise with, with this kind of service. And a real uh, just a real-world scenario there, um, your, your forecast service is going to provide you with a forecast every morning uh, for things like strong winds, lightning threat. Um, they should have a pretty good handle on, on detecting if that's a possibility for the day and also what time you should anticipate that. Uh, at least within a, a time window, um, and I instruct everybody if you see something on that forecast that you don 't like for whatever reason, that is the time that you loop in your your meteorologist because from there, you can start to make that plan for the day. You know what time you 're having your stakeholder meetings, you know who you 're communicating with on your end. Um, these forecasters can work with you to make sure they 're getting you updated information as you need it so that you can have these conversations. Uh, for all types of scenarios, you know, Kevin ran through a good one that's pretty common uh, in, in terms of lightning, for example. Most people roll with the 8-mile and 20-mile and as part of their, their trigger chart and their plan. I would say most of the time, that Kevin can correct me, that probably assumes that any, uh, that, you know, any storm that develops is probably moving in the 30, 35-mile-an-hour range. Well, what if today that, these, these forecasted storms are coming in at 50 miles an hour? You know what your evacuation time is. You know what you have your, your trigger set at for lightning. So, so what type of modification might you need to make to that trigger chart? Maybe expand those range rings out a little bit to make sure you have adequate lead time to make those decisions and do what you need to do.
2: So, Dax, the forecasters that you refer to, Um, And and I just want to clarify for those who might not have seen this setup in operation yet. Sure. Forecasters you refer to are not necessarily on the ground at the event site. They're the forecasters at the offices at the weather headquarters. Right. So what what we're what the technology allows us to do now, obviously, the most ideal circumstances is when the forecaster is in the, able to be in the field with you and have eyes on the storm and access to the data that the meteorological data that professionals read. But secondarily to that, it's having them sitting on the pipeline of the world's weather data at, at your headquarters, able to make the same or similar judgment calls because they're accessing data that us amateur, we amateur meteorologists don't understand how to interpret so that I think what I heard you say is I can have my show bolstered with professional meteorology without having to carry an extra mouth at catering, an extra hotel room, and an extra bunk on the bus in the event sure. of a show. Yeah.
3: No, it's uh that's exactly right. There's a lot of benefits um to, to having some sort of remote uh forecaster service. Some of those benefits include number one, it's a twenty-four seven shop if you've got one forecaster on site. Um, you know we actually, you know, do quite a bit now. We do have some, some festivals and events that, that do employ on-site forecasters. So it's a really good blend for that on-site guy to be able to, re, to lean on the remote service. Um, and then obviously when, when, they're, when they're not at the show, you still have that, that support. So, and in addition to that, well, the, the tech is, that's why the tech is so important. We have to have ways to get you this information. So we do provide a mobile app Um, you know, you do receive email notifications, you do have a weather display, all that stuff is important, but it's not nearly as useful without having the professional meteorologist to speak with.
2: So while we're talking about flexible plans, as it were, malleable plans, um, I, I, I know that everyone on this call and the majority of the people who are probably listening care first about human life, but the second sticky wicket that most of us also care about is, God, am I going to end up in a court of law? Am I going to end up being sued? Am I going to end up losing my job? So as we, I want to throw it back to the lawyer, Steve, a- and say, all right, so defend me in a court of law. I've just gone outside my plan. I've decided with the expertise of DTN on the other end of the phone and an engineer on site that we're going to push and we're gonna extend the boundaries of the of the action plan, of the weather matrix, and, and give it another 10 miles an hour before we do anything. God forbid something goes wrong. Defend me in that circumstance, please, Steve.
1: All right. Um, so, Jim, you posed three questions. Will I see the inside of a courtroom? The answer to that, yes. Um, Will you have a defense? Happily, the answer to that is yes. Will you lose your job? You shouldn't because of the second answer. So here goes. Um, Basic legal principle that probably everyone listening to this podcast has heard me give at some point, usually accompanied by a picture of me and a blue man staring at each other. The legal principle is the foundation of tort law which is a common law principle that exists in roughly half the countries on the planet, which is everyone has a legal duty to behave reasonably under their circumstances. So now let's apply that to the use of accurate meteorological and presumably structural engineering principles on a show site during an active weather situation when there's a house full of people. If the scenario is, as we just set it up, where there is someone, say, Jim, in your position who is in charge of or at least advising about a go, no-go, or postpone decision, and you've got someone from a service such as WeatherOps who you can not only still use your cell phone to communicate with but actually have a conversation, and you're getting accurate information from the likes of someone with actual meteorological training like Kevin, rather than some knucklehead history major like me, then you have reached the threshold that the law requires, which is you're making a decision which is reasonable under the circumstances because you have a reason for your decision. In this case, the reason would be, yes, we have accounted for time because we're not relying on a phone app that has a a built-in delay. We have accurate current weather. Yes, we're actually accounting for the fact that the earth is curved, and so we have the right layer of atmosphere, not just whatever layer the, the app is giving. And we've got it Located for our site because we're using a service such as WeatherOps, which is telling us what the weather is in real time at our location. And by the way, in this scenario, as we've teed it up, which I think is the right scenario, we've got an engineer who's walking around with us who's saying, I understand what your trigger chart says, but I am telling you, based on my engineering professional knowledge and expertise, I am looking at this. I am testing it in a meaningful way and I'm telling you that you know this structure whatever it is is structurally sound it has its full integrity notwithstanding what weather is going on right now and so under those circumstances there is sufficient reason so that I as a lawyer can defend the decision in this case to continue with the show the show can go on and if God forbid something goes wrong, that is still a defensible position because all of the science, all of the expertise that we've been talking about on this podcast will have been brought to bear reasonably.
2: Uh, That gives me great reason to breathe easier. Tell me something, does the defense, I've been doing it this way for 20 or 30 years means I can do it like this always work? Let me think about this. No,
1: no, it does not. (laughs) Doing it it the same way as always is just finally reducing the odds that you will dodge the next bullet. There are actually scientific studies about this that show, you know, with a, a measure of science that I can't even accurately describe, that the more often you do something the wrong way, the more likely it is that the next time you do it the wrong way, you will finally get the disaster that you richly deserve.
2: So uh, does that mean that the new definition of reasonable is have professional meteorological service if you're producing an outdoor event? Have your show studied by engineers if you're producing an event that's up against winds, or even if it's indoors and you have a lot of load. Is that the new definition of reasonable? Like, you can't behave the way you did 20 years ago just because you've gotten away with it all this time? Yes,
1: yes, The, (laughs) the lawyer is nodding his head like a bobblehead, which I have, and I should just reach for it, you know, tap my little bobblehead head, and it'll just be nodding furiously for the rest of this podcast. Yes, science is good, expertise is good, especially if you've actually got it on site and you can use it in real time. So on my other computer right now, I'm looking at a picture of you know former president Dwight Eisenhower, it makes me feel good to look at someone who's chill like him. And the quote for President Eisenhower is, in preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. And that's what we're talking about here. I don't think plans are useless, I think they're important. So in this case, trigger charts are quite useful. They, they develop muscle memory. They cause us, as as Kevin said at the top of this podcast, to consider what could happen you know my favorite question what could go wrong so i think trigger charts plans are very useful but they're not friggin handcuffs because what you want to do is make a reasonable decision under the circumstances and no trigger chart can anticipate the exact circumstances that you're going to find on a given date on a given show site all by itself a trigger chart isn't Excellent, very useful, defensible guideline, but it's not the single right answer. Instead, having someone like Dr. Kevin Clazel, who understands how to look at the squiggly lines and pretty colors and interpret them accurately, that's important. Having someone like, like Dax and the weather ops team to translate that into information that is useful For someone like you, Jim, who is on site walking around with your structural engineer or or whoever it is who has the, the vulnerable pieces of equipment and bringing those pieces to bear, you filter the information through your trigger chart, which you designed on the calm of a dark day with your whole team present. But the trigger chart is a guideline. It's not law. It's not gospel. It gives you a framework, as you guys all said before. It gives you a framework to think about how to make weather-related decisions.
0: So, Steve, let me jump in here too. One of the things that can be of great value with respect to the venue or the staging company or whomever is that sometimes we see, for example, an anemometer, a wind gauge mounted on the top of a stage Uh, And if you have that as well and that device is functioning, that's a tremendous amount of intel on site for both the meteorologist and the structural engineer uh, to be able to make those immediate sort of comparisons and, you know, see how a a windscreen is, is working or see whether a monitor that might be hanging is moving or not or something like that. Having on-site data as part of an anemometer, a wind gauge that is put on top of those stages can be incredibly valuable uh, on-site in these situations where you you might be really close to where you were on your your framework trigger chart, uh, but you need to see exactly what's going on. That data can really help uh, inform the expertise uh, to make the safe decision in those situations.
2: But please, 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 can we clarify the difference between now casting and forecasting? Because what we still see, still to this day, out in the field, I've got an anemometer on my roof, I know everything I need to know. It's unacceptable, you don't, because that anemometer doesn't tell you what's coming 30 minutes from now. And if you need 30 minutes to evacuate your field and you're waiting on the anemometer to get to speed, guess what, you're screwed. And it's unacceptable. So now we've got to get to a place where an anemometer is like the phone, another tool in the toolbox. but you need the entire toolbox to do to be reasonable in your behavior in the face of weather. Would you agree Right. I agree, Jim. That is an important clarification because
0: that anemometer information with the wind then fits in with all of the other things that a meteorologist would be looking at, and it would also, be you know, part of what the structural engineer would be looking at it in those situations. And again, if you're waiting for the hazard to get to your site and you already know it's coming, uh, then that's, that's irresponsible. So, and I think Steve probably has a different word for it. Uh, but those, any type of information that you can gather that helps complete the puzzle or complete the picture. So for example, if you only have the frame on a jigsaw puzzle, That's not a very interesting jigsaw puzzle, but that frame is very, very important in terms of setting what the rest of the image and how the rest of the pieces fit. If you only have all the pieces and they're screwed everywhere, that's still not very valuable either. What you have to have are the information available to provide the frame and have the pieces, all of them go in the right places, and the pieces that we're talking about here are structural engineering expertise, meteorological expertise meteorological data and like you said earlier right 20 years doing it the same way honestly if we were doing meteorology the same way 20 years hence right then you're not we're not going to be very valuable to you right the information that we've gained over the last 20 years with new technologies new models etc have given us the opportunity to be able to refine the assessment of risk in association with venues, with sporting events, et cetera, so that we can make this call, so to speak, with a high degree of accuracy that we are not putting people at risk by saying yes or no. And I'll mention it again, right? We want to be the office of yes safely, not the office of no. Uh, And I think we've been able to show that repeatedly we're able to do that. um, And we're getting past this point of where weather seems to be something that's always Uh, wrong, right? Think of the Masters Golf Tournament. The Masters Golf Tournament used meteorological expertise from DTN Weather Ops to, in an unprecedented way, move the entire final round of the Masters to early in the morning and had that Masters Been in the afternoon, you don't have a final round of the Masters until the next day. Does Tiger Woods win? I don't know if Tiger Woods win if if it goes to the next day. But I do know that the meteorology expertise in that case from DTN Weather Ops allowed there to be a historic final round of the Masters. It's the office of yes, not the office of no.
1: Dax, you should be taking a bow here.
3: That was incredible all of the uh the the credit for that one goes to the on-site team. Uh uh PGA does have uh DT and forecasters working on site for for all of their tournaments and um
2: it was really something to behold Dax. It was just so so perfectly executed.
3: Very impressive group.
1: <clears throat> so let's let's bring this to its chronological end point. So Jim, I'm now going to turn to you. So you're on a show site, you have looked up at the sky with concern, you're in communication with whoever is your private meteorologist, because you don't do a show without one, right? Correct. So you've, you've made visual contact yourself, but you don't have the meteorological training, you have smart friends who do, and you're relying on them. How do you exercise your own trigger chart? You've been through this scenario, so give our podcast listeners just a a thumbnail sketch of what you weighed before you made a either go or no go decision. Just give us a little thumbnail sketch of how that happened for you.
2: No pressure. Uh (laughs) Uh So, uh, yeah, so this was, I think, year one or two of us. Uh, of us brainstorming and getting to the place where there was an action a matrix for live events. You know that that whole evolution of where we currently are today comes from uh, the genesis of the ESA, the origins of the ESA, and uh, you know our confidence factor in that those early evolving days was different than what it is now. So, as I described this, remember we were. We were younger then than we are now. Um, And I would say, I would offer that even to this day, it's always a pucker factor decision, right? Meaning I I see that storm. It's just put a lightning bolt down at eight miles. It's exactly what Kevin described actually happened to me. It's put a lightning bolt down at eight miles, but the storm is on a glancing blow to the arena, uh, to the, to the amphitheater. So, and at that point in time, we hadn't yet had this dialogue that glancing blows were acceptable or that there was a way to make a glancing blow acceptable with the, with the help of a professional meteorologist. So we were doing it in a vacuum on our own. Promoter, myself, and the other decision makers, my, my rigor in this instance, looking at this storm on the phone with weather ops at the time. It's a glancing blow. Lightning bolt comes down at eight miles an hour. Promoter standing on stage going, well, I'm not going to tell the audience. You tell the audience. Um, and uh, uh, this, we were prepared to let the glancing blow go and keep the audience in. But this is Dallas. This is active lightning storm territory. And we got a second lightning bolt at six miles or something like that, even though we we're still in this glancing trajectory from the storm. At that point in time, we made the decision that that's two and we can't afford the third. We're going to evacuate. Uh, and, and that ended up being me on the microphone. Uh, in this instance, the promoter didn't feel like he had the tools to make that announcement from a what's the right thing to say standpoint or what's the right authority to say it with. Uh, so I faked it and got on stage and said, okay, folks, it's real. This storm's coming. We need to put you in shelter. It, chances are it's going to pass quickly. But for now, we got to get everybody a safe shelter. Let's do that now. Let's get everybody off the lawn come underneath the pavilion, or go to your cars. And that was the solution on that day. And, and that's what we did. We, we took that second strike as don't mess with Mother Nature. And ma- even though the glancing trajectory existed, pulled everybody off the lawn. Of course, there were always, there was still a handful of yahoos out there on the grass dancing around in the rain. Darwin's problem, not mine. Uh, but we got most everybody underneath the roof or off to their cars. And sure enough. Forty minutes later, I think we were restoring the field, and and we were going on with the show. Jim, this Kevin, uh, appropriate expertise, right? Here's a here's a
0: situation where a glancing blow with a storm, say twenty miles from the venue, but with professional expertise meteorologically, could have assessed that. Okay, well, yes, but that storm has produced what we call an outflow boundary which not only is high winds, but that outflow boundary is triggering a new storm which is developing inside the eight mile radius. And this is exactly the scenario of the Backstreet Boys at the Windstar Casino in Thackerville, where you had a storm a pretty good distance away that begat another storm a little bit closer that formed another storm literally right on top of the venue. And so professional expertise meteorologically that has the ability to see that evolution can, you mentioned the term earlier, nowcast, right? This is now a, a, we're in the moment, we're in the next 30 minutes, we're we're what's called a nowcast, which is assessing the available meteorological, from visual cues to radar to satellite to everything else, and telling people that, you know, there's not a storm here now. That storm out there that you think is far enough away isn't the storm we're worried about. We're worried about the new storm that you can't see on radar yet that's developing over the top of you. Uh, and that was the meteorology of that day at Thackerville. So that's another place where meteorological expertise in the short term can really give you a safety heads up.
2: Kevin, I, I thank you. I've sat in your class enough to know that the weather is unpredictable. And that's what makes your life so challenging as a professional meteorologist. And you know, I, I will never understand the circumstances that a real meteorologist saw in radar I- imagery and saw in and all the other data that they're ingesting that caused them to be aware that there would be another storm over the show site. But I have seen time and time again in your class the the uh, the underpinnings for the depth of knowledge that get us. Having those things, I also learned that I can have a storm appear that dtn hasn't warned me about because the radar that I'm looking at is shooting higher than that storm exists in the atmosphere. So the storm snuck in literally under the radar, and I got wet. Everybody's yelling at me. Where's my stinking weather alert? Where well, am How come I'm getting wet? You know, and my my answer is well, the Earth is curved, contrary to popular belief, and the radar is shooting over the storm. Uh, still, I'll get yelled at.
1: It is the nature of the beast that the decision maker gets yelled at. (laughs) Welcome to the short end of the stick, Jim. Um, I think what I'm going to do is, I've been taking notes during this conversation, and in addition to the good things that we have talked about, my list of follow-up items has grown long enough that I think what we should do is conclude here but I'm going to tease the next conversation that we really need to have that follows from it. So I'm gonna give you my list and then I'm gonna go around and ask if you have anything that you want to add to this list because we're clearly gonna have to do another podcast on weather and weather-related issues. So here's my list. Uh, We've talked about Announcements, Jim, you were just talking about that. What goes into a severe weather announcement? When do you make it? Who makes it? Um, What are the criteria of making a reasonable weather-related announcement? Um, I personally have had conversations with someone I respect a great deal, and we have diametrically opposed positions on who ought to be giving the announcement that the crowd has to go someplace else and the show is not going to continue right now so topic number one on my notes is weather announcements topic number two in my notes is an evacuation plan an evacuation plan has to be forward thinking enough it can't be now casting as jim said it has to be forward thinking enough so that everyone who is reasonably foreseeably on a site, whether they're patrons or staff or the artist, have to all be able to get someplace safer with enough time to get there. So topic number two is evacuation planning for the people who are likely to be on site. Topic number three on my notes is related to topic number two, which is shelter in place. How do you get that? Um, If there aren't built structures nearby, I mean, some green fields festivals are kind of out in the middle of nowhere. What do you do? What are the realistic alternatives available when you don't have any good alternatives? And then topic number four is one that we actually discussed doing, which is just the nuts and bolts of how do you create a trigger chart? How do you decide what should go on it? How do you determine the criteria that should go on it? Who should you consult when essentially you're gathering your team together around a conference room table to figure out what sort of trigger chart do we need for our event or for our venue? How do you build one of these? So those are the four items in my notes. So now I'm going to go around the room and ask each of you guys if you have any additions. So I'm going to start where I began this podcast, uh, Dr. Kevin Clazel. Do you have any additions to, uh, to my notes that you wanna to add to this? Uh, Steve, I love that
0: list because especially the second thing you talked about, which is the evacuation plan. Um, for example, we can't have a venue plan. We have to have an event plan. Our football stadium, if it's got football in it, is one thing. If it's got graduation in it, that's something completely different because the football crowd is a much higher mobility. It's younger. The graduation crowd is everybody's grandparents and great-grandparents, and, you know, it's it's first-generation college students who every member of the family who's over 80 and living attends, right? Uh, So you have to have event plans, not venue plans for those things, because every act is going to bring a different group of people. trying to choose the best choice from a number of bad choices. Uh, like you said, I mean, gosh, Rock, comes to mind, right? Out in the middle of a field storms every year, you can count on it. Um, uh, you know, the, the area floods when there's, you know, a 10th of an inch of rain and nobody is ever happy with any decision that's made, you know, sort of circling back to the earlier that, you know, Jim was talking about. Um, I don't think we have a good answer for that, right? The the best of bad situations, uh, other than try not to be in that situation in the first place. And that's where the expertise comes in, right? You have to, you know, the masters, right? You, again, I mentioned it earlier, you know, move it to the morning, move, you know, try and do things that you can to stay away from the highest risk periods, uh, because the meteorological expertise is such that they can begin to identify the time windows of those highest risk periods and you just try and stay out of them. So, um, but like I said, I don't have a good answer for that. So, but those are, I think, the two things that, that I wanted to stress is you can't have a venue plan. It's got to be an event plan. And when you're
1: dealing with trigger charts, they need to be event-based, not necessarily venue-based. Kevin, that's that's terrific. Um, And I will add those comments to my notes, Uh, turning next to Dax Cochran. Uh, So Dax, got anything good to add to our list from the weather ops standpoint?
3: Yeah, it's, um, you know, really one thing that we run into quite a bit is consistency in weather information and even understanding the, the weather sources that you're using. As we started the podcast talking about everyone has a weather app on their phone now. Um, which again is one of the reasons it's so important to have access to a meteorologist um, for your event that you can consult and and, uh, use to help make decisions Um, but with all of these different weather apps a lot of people just really don't know what data is available in that app how it's processed what kind of delay they're looking at on top of something like radar data which is already delayed Um, there are lightning apps out there too is that a high precision lightning feed that that app has is it is it showing all of the strikes so you know that's one thing we run into um you know quite a bit just because uh there's so many sources out there that just coordinating and making sure everybody's looking at consistent information is is really important
1: thanks dax uh jim let's uh let's wrap this with you
2: i think that's uh, your list is uh, as good as it gets steve i don't want to uh, enhance that any. I think those are those four items, along with the thoughtfulness of the experts on the phone, get a significant amount of information into the hands of our listeners, which is great. Um, and I would only add that you know, when you think of trigger charts, you should also be thinking risk matrices, right? So that's really the basis for how I drew up that first ever weather matrix was based on what you taught me, Steve Edelman, on how to create a risk a risk assessment chart. So it's it's nothing more than a twist of a risk assessment. We believe that, we the ESA believe that if you can plan for weather, if you can assess risk for weather and create an action around around that risk, then you can do it for anything. You can do it for active shooter. You can do it for, You know, uh, uh, caustic gases have been released in the building. You name the threat. If you can do it for weather, which is relatable to all of us, you can do it for anything. So I look forward to this next podcast and the ability to get uh, this information into people's hands.
1: Well, so there you have it, podcast listeners. We have opened a topic. Uh, We have not resolved a whole lot. Um, Hopefully, we've shed some light into the dark crevices of your weather decision-making, but obviously this is related, Jim Digby is exactly right, this is closely related to all of the risks that we must assess and then try to mitigate during an event, whether at the planning stage or the implementation stage. Um, So this is a conversation that will continue in different guises um, throughout many of these podcasts. Um, So we hope that you like this introduction because there's more like this coming your way. Uh, With that, we're going to wrap up today's event safety podcast. So I'm going to thank Dr. Kevin Clazel, Dax Cochran, Jim Digby, of course, our engineer, uh, Jacob Warwick, who is silently making all this magic happen. Uh, I'm Steve Adelman. Thank you for listening to the event safety podcast. and We hope that you will join us again very soon. Be safe out there.